in here. All right, all right, relax, relax. If you want to look change. in the lot, you got to pay your 4000 I need change. Take oh. your time, Mr. Grenier. Oh. <laughs> That's a nice car. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we use the only word necessary to communicate even the deepest thoughts and feelings in dude. Next, we grab the Highland entrepreneurial spirit in Isle of Sky. And lastly, armed with our blue book, we go for the coveted title of best used car dealer on the block in the classic game, Dealer's Choice. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein. Hey, did you know that which game first in German is Welches Spielzurist? I'm Joe Wanfried, and we're going to help you decide Kagaya Grappervia. Hi, I'm Ed Povlaitis, and it's Sasio no Gimo in Japanese. Hi, I'm Mike Grenier, and let's find out quel jeu en premier. Our first game up this week is Dude, designed by Bo Beckett and Jeff Stahl. Producers, North Star Games, 2018. Number of players, 3 to 6. Ages 13 and up. Runtime, as the box says, a little while. Okay, when we spotted this game on the horizon, what did everybody think? Mike? Dude. Evan? Dude. Ed? Dude? Joe? Ancient Carthage was... I mean, do. <laughs> Evan, tell us how it's played. Each player has their own deck of cards. Each and every card says the word dude, but on each card, it's punctuated or spelled differently. To play, you say the word dude as you think it should be said based on how it appears on your card. At the same time, listen to how the other players are saying the word dude from their card. If you think another player has the same card as you, then you make eye contact holding it while showing your cards to see if they match. The person who gets the most correct matches is the winner. The directions are hilarious. And, and then you're supposed to say sweet if they're correct. Oh my gosh, I forgot sweet. You don't remember the, the opening scene of Dude, Where's My Car? That, that's exactly what it's based on. Which, if you ask me, is a disservice to the classic word dude. I can't believe I'm about to argue the theme of the game dude. And I'm going to do it. You know what? I'm doing it. You know why? Because dude is a beloved word in my lexicon. And I use it all the time. And I felt like the guy on the cover of the box was stereotyping. I mean, where's the middle-aged mom like me who uses dude all the time because they grew up watching Square Pegs? I kind of agree with Celeste. <laughs> there, there's a kind of an innovation to a game that lets you use a single word to try to communicate multiple different things. I haven't really seen that in a game before, um, and I thought that was interesting. Personally, it made me think that I want to do a game where you have to communicate an entire phrase using only the word Hodor. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I liked the game because I love saying the word dude. It does stand the test of time, which a lot of language doesn't from the 80s. It's so beloved to me, I would have liked to see more. But back to the mechanics of the game. <laughs> so I have a question. Would you guys put this into the social deduction category? So social deduction. Yeah, I suppose so. Right? Because you're trying to you're really trying to figure out what your other players are doing. So why wouldn't you put it in there, Ed? 
Well, I mean, it's you're not really like trying to figure out. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of hidden yeah. information. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we brought that around. That you're using a roundabout communication method to convey to your fellow players, which sometimes are cooperating and sometimes are your opponent. I don't think you can call it a word game if it's all about one word. You're not trying to guess the word, per se, although maybe the meaning of the word. It's all in how you use the word. It's all context. It's obviously a party game. Yeah. Well, party game does not exclude social deduction. But social deduction is usually like, oh, you're trying to find uh, who's the spy or something like that. Uh-huh. You're trying to find out some hidden information, right? Uh-huh. You'll, you'll bring them around I'll yet, get Mike. I'll get them. <laughs> <laughs> You're not trying to keep the information hidden, though. You're trying to reveal the information. <laughs> what do you call taboo a, a social deduction game? Because that's, to Ooh. me, it's a little closer to that. Dude has more nuance than taboo. Ready? Big Go. Dude. 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 Sweet. Sweet. Dude? <laughs> Whoa, deeper. Oh. Ed, if, if you plan on going to Gen Con this year, will you be entering the Dude Tournament? <laughs> well, uh, actually, I, ho- I missed the whole hotel thing, so it's unlikely. If you're just going to play Dude, you could sleep in your car. <laughs> I'm going to give special credit to this game for one thing. It, it took longer to play than it did to invent. <laughs> Yeah, because no one wants heavy rules, man. That's just yeah. way down. And if you don't have enough dude, you can get more dude. What well, is a dude expansion? Well, called more dude. More dude, really? More dude. Oh my god, yeah. I thought you were joking. No, no, there's an expansion set. Yeah. Oh, and there's another. There's a promo pack called One More Dude. Okay, this game now officially gets the award for least needed expansion (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry that's a money grab no 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 i'm gonna give him a little more credit than that i want to see this expansion set well more dudes is basically another game where you say dude surfers say dude robots say dude lots of different people say dude And, and apparently the idea here is now you have to have an accent to your dude Dude. So if you have the surfer dude deck, you're supposed to do all your dudes as if you're a surfer. Yes, that, that it- is exactly what was missing. That is exactly what was missing in this game. That makes it really hard because you already want to say it like a surfer. I'm serious. The one thing that turned me off about this game was the cover art. I felt like it was stereotyping the word dude, and I didn't want that guy to own my word. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so here, here are the different categories you could be. The surfer dude, the robot dude, the pizza box dude, the pirate dude, arg, the ghost dude, and the cowboy dude. Okay, so I, I stand corrected. This game is infinitely expandable. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't encourage 12 expansions for this game. <laughs> Still waiting for aging mom. <laughs> yeah. I got to give these guys credit. The The cards were decent quality, which they really don't need to be because you're just tossing them. You barely shuffle them. And they had some color on them, which they totally didn't need to be able to play this game. The other aesthetic I really like, it looks like the whole game was written by somebody with a Sharpie. Nice and simple, and that's all it really needed. Evan did not seem impressed by the quality components. Yeah. That's the least they can do. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, you're buying something, too. right? Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to say something nice, but yeah, that is the least they could do is give you at least a quality component. <laughs> <laughs> okay, explorers, 
Get your shovels out. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Dude. Ed? It's a silly game. I've seen quite a few folks have fun playing this, myself included. Personally, I had a better experience from playing Happy Salmon, probably due to the physical component of the game, but that may actually be an advantage to some players. Dude, where's the game? I think it's buried under those pizza boxes over there. All right, Joe. Well, on one level, I mean, it's more of a group project to perpetuate a repetitive comedy routine. And while repetition is sometimes funny, I'm a little skeptical of its replay value. I I swear I was going to bury this, but after listening to the conversation of my fellow panelists <laughs> and how much uh, how much fun you had discussing it and how unique the uh, the the play seems to be, um, I'm I'm going to dig it up. Evan, how about you? I'll say this: the game will have no lasting impact on your life. None. <laughs> <laughs> bury it, dude. Mike, dude. Translation, bury it. <laughs> Dude, translation, dig it up. This game is available for ten ninety nine. a lot of stores and online. And Dude, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our next game up this week is Isle of Sky, From Chieftain to King, designed by Andreas Pelican and Alexander Pfister. Published by Mayfair Games in 2015, number of players 2 to 5, ages 8 and up, runtime 60 minutes. Okay, when we first shined a light on this game, what were your first thoughts, Mike? Oh cool, a rough and tumble game about Highlanders. Uh, Wait, are we buying real estate? Evan? (laughs) You take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll build my engine before ye. Ed? Forget that silly French city, ye be in Scotland now. Joe? Scotland has actual mountains. Who knew? It's the most mountainous country in the United Kingdom. Ah, if the McHales and the McInnes clans are growing their territory like weeds, we better get purchasing. Aye, <laughs> <I> lassie. <laughs> but before we do, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. In this tile-laying game, players are chieftains of famous clans and want to build their kingdoms to score as many points as possible. Thanks to the 16 different scoring tiles, each game is different and leads to different tactics and strategies, but having enough money is useful no matter what else is going on. Managing that money can be tricky, though. Each turn, players take three tiles, keeping only two, and sets a selling price for the tiles. Setting a high price is great, but only so long as someone actually pays the price, because if no one opts to buy, then the seller must buy the tiles at the price they previously requested. In the end, the player with the best kingdom, and not the richest player, becomes the sovereign of the island. Ugh. Yeah, it's definitely not the richest player that wins, I can tell you that from experience. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Mike? (laughs) So, this is a pretty standard Euro game, right, guys? Oh, yeah, this is about as Euro as it gets. You lay tiles and search for synergy bonuses. (laughs) Well, the only thing missing was cubes. Yeah, there weren't any cubes. Uh, No meeples. Okay, so this is the first game I think I've ever played in which I've been issued an axe and never chopped down a tree or buried it in someone's forehead, you know, in in terms of the game. You chopped down an entire territory with it. All right, everyone gets an axe. Like, wow, okay, what are we attacking? Oh, wait, it just means (laughs) it's just a marker. Okay. Well, some people feel attacked, though, when you have the perfect (laughs) tile in front of you and they're like planning how they're going to set it up and buy it from you. And then when you reveal all the the things, the one with the axe is the exact one they wanted. 
Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, that tile was nice, right? And I got the axe. Sorry. Yeah, I'm like, don't yep. plan too yeah. much around this tile, guys. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought the, I actually thought that was a great mechanic. Oh, it's an excellent mechanic. You know, three tiles go out, and then you, you already know that uh, only two of the three in front of any player are going to remain. So you have to, I think you got to wait a little bit to form your strategy until after the... Uh, the axe is revealed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the part of your strategy you can't do after that is where you place the amount of money in front of the tiles you might want to keep or sell. That's right. You don't want to set it too low if it's good because somebody will just come out and buy it for cheap underneath you. But if you set it too high and nobody wants it, you end up paying that price yourself. The pieces do exist. Thanks, Evan. No problem. I that confirmed was, it. If I get a, if I get a mountain series, I'm serious, that helps you, I will not axe it and I will not... Put $12 on it. <laughs> I ended up pricing a couple of tiles very high so that no one would um, buy them. And it worked, but I had to pay that price. Um, it didn't help me at all. I lost horribly, but it was definitely the the uh, time that I, I was able to build in the most point yielding tiles. However, I may have made a mistake there. Maybe pricing high, even when they're tiles you need, is not wise because you need money. And honestly, there's enough variety in these tiles that you could make use of so many different ones. Don't just wait. Don't just try to get yours. You know what I mean? See what's out there first. Well, with the rare ones with the scroll on them, though, you have to watch out for because there's not that many. And they're how you compound a lot of victory points at the end of the game. So you don't want to let those go lightly. Right. Yeah, I went for the barrels, and those scroll yield on the barrels is two to one, whereas there's other scrolls that are one to one, and I know that they supposedly go with rarer tiles, but I still think one to one is better, um, even with the fact that there's less tiles of that type. Well, it could come from that, you know, livestock over time make more livestock, but, you know, whiskey doesn't make more whiskey. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, con- conceptually, it makes sense, <laughs> and it's on theme, but I'm just talking about strategy for the game. I think using the scrolls that are one-to-one, I would prefer trying next time. A lot of it depends on your starting four tiles, though, that sure. get victory points every turn, because right. in this game here, livestock, especially sheep, were super valuable because mm-hmm. they had two different things they could score on. So each thing scores three times, so that's six scoring opportunities for having sheep. Right. Right, Ed? You got you pulled a tile with three sheep, I think, in the first round, oh, yeah, and you and, kind of pulled and, out to an early lead. Oh, yeah, I got that, and I made a lot of use of that tile, man. Oh, that thing propelled you into the lead really fast. Yeah, Ed was shearing those sheep four times a season. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, he had wool coming out of his ears. <laughs> no, the the art makes it more of a you know more of a pleasure than it often is to actually build territory the theme although i didn't feel it was very present in the mechanics i did feel like it was very present in the art um enough to make up for it so i i enjoyed the art a lot it was beautiful green it made me feel definitely like it was the highlands my highlander realm was strikingly similar to chile in terms of geography and shape <laughs> Another great thing about the the art uh, is the uh, it was actually done by the well known and famous now Clemens Franz, which he's seen on many many Euro games. But it didn't have a lot of those generic faces that you usually get. There were only there's only one person on each uh, board, and it, people don't play a role in the art very much in this game, which 
I think it benefits from, right? Because benevolent blank faces on your cows and sheep is fine. (laughs) 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 Right? But on people, it's not good. Yeah, the sheep didn't look like they cared one way or another. That's a sheep for you. I like that you have different victory conditions for each game you play based on the tiles that you drew for the victory points. I like when victory points change. Um, I think it keeps it keeps uh, min-max gamers on their toes. You know, you can't always go with the exact same strategy. Um, and it also had a slight amount of customizing victory points with the scroll tiles. That makes Eurogaming a lot more enjoyable for me. It gives it a ton of replayability because those things shuffle and change every single time. Plus the randomness of the tile draw and the randomness of the starting victory point draw just gives it so many possibilities. Yeah, you, yeah, your your lands are going to look different every time. It's pretty cool that when you're picking your random tiles, a lot of times the randomness will feel too heavy. But in this game, you get kind of a sense of control over it by setting the prices and deciding which one to axe. I think I became too fixated on the tiles in front of me. I think my inflexibility was the problem, not so much the randomness. Did any of you guys think it was too random? No, I think I had a nice balance at the beginning. You don't really particularly care what tiles you get as long as you it got a feature you need. And it's later in the game when you're trying to complete a territory that's like, wow, that tile would be perfect for me because it has the right land on each side. I had the curse of drawing really good tiles, <laughs> which means I get to lay less tiles because everybody buys mine. It gives me more money, which gives me more flexibility later. But at a certain point, you want to have more tiles because it gives you more opportunities to score. No, it's a good point. It compounds on what Celeste said. You know, the opponent's tiles that you're potentially can buy from is more important than the tiles you're drawing yourself in front of you. Oh, yeah. I'd rather have a bunch of mediocre tiles that I didn't have to spend a lot of coins on and then buy the one tile I really want from somebody else. But by the end of the game, you kind of have to watch your tiles against everybody else's because all of a sudden, if Evan has two ship multiplying scrolls on there and then you've got three tiles with ships on it, you've got to figure out a way to keep Evan from getting them. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you only get one axe, unfortunately. <laughs> there is some great joy, though, in axing the exact property that somebody else wants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, this would be perfect for Joe. Gone. <laughs> yeah, you can't count the tiles as being available before yeah. the screen gets revealed for sure. Nope. Well, what, uh, it was too obvious early on that I was collecting sheep. So I was like, yeah, not, no one can let me get that. Yeah, I can't believe you got away with getting the sheep in the first round. I would have bought it myself, but I didn't save enough money. I put too much money on the tiles that I had and didn't have enough to buy the sheep that you had up there. Well, it's the advantage of going first. Well, it's not really an advantage to go first because nobody's bought my tiles yet, so I don't have any extra money to buy stuff with. Okay, explorers. Shovels out. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Isle of Sky. Joe? Uh, I was impressed with this game on the very first turn. I found out that you know having to pay the price you just set for a parcel of land right after your opponents all decide your price is too high. <laughs> dig it up. Evan, how about you? Lots of variability, lots of replayability, and cheesy Scottish accents all day long. Dig it oop. Mike? Great mechanics. Easy to teach me clansmen. Boundless replayability. Dig it up. Ed, how about you? 
It's no wonder this won the Kinner Spiel in 2016. It's light enough to teach and learn in a few minutes, plays over a reasonable length of time, and offers plenty of strategy during play and variety for replayability. Dig her up! And I'm going to say dig it up. It has enough theme in the art and the setting uh, to make it an interesting Euro game for me. Ed, where can you find it? I've seen this at my local game store and online run for about 40 bucks, and there are two expansions out for it. If you have thoughts about Isle of Sky, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our final game this week is Dealer's Choice. No designer credits? Produced by Parker Brothers in 1972. Number of players, 3 to 5, ages 8 and up, runtime 45 minutes. Or longer in our case. So, when we deossified this find, what were our first <laughs> thoughts? Mike? Car dealers in the 70s. Let's see if people back then thought they were just as shady as we do now. Evan? Now, look at this car. This little beauty had only one owner, a widow who only drove it to church on Sunday. Ed? I love the lofty goal of being the best used car salesman on the block. Joe? Like pre-disco 70s music, this game is also from a simpler time, when Americans felt entitled to engage in petty larceny and extra-legal shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Simpler. I mean, there's a giant hubcap prop that sits in the center of the table. But before we take this beauty for a spin, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. In Dealer's Choice, you play the owner of a used car lot. Your goal? Well, as the rules clearly state, to be the wealthiest car dealer on the block. That is in quotes. And how does one become the wealthiest on the block? Well, you buy cars low and you try to sell them high. That sounds easy, right? Well, it's not. The value of any given car is referenced in a player's blue book. Each player's blue book values each of the 24 cars differently. No two blue books are alike. You'll need to rely on your salesman skills, such as negotiation and deception, in order to rake in the cash, fill your lot with high-valued cars, and win the game. Oh, and don't forget to carry some insurance to protect your lot of cars from the dangers of fire, flooding, and the scorn of your competition. Oh, yeah. Insurance policies are huge. My, the first insurance card I drew at random was fly-by-night insurance. Yeah. <laughs> when I looked deeper into my policy, the only thing it covered was soiled galoshes. <laughs> yeah. I think mine uh, covered uh, like burnt popcorn or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not all insurance is equal. Wait, are you saying some of them didn't actually cover fire, theft? <laughs> right, yeah. that's yeah. correct. They were bogus. <laughs> yep. And you buy you buy these insurance policies. for You start with twenty five grand in the game. And you, each insurance policy you buy, if you want to buy it, is $4,000. So you're going to spend $4,000 basically on nothing. Oh, yeah, and it's random. You're not choosing, yeah. I need fire insurance. You're going, I need some insurance. And you grab it off the top. <laughs> right, and grab the right. random policy. Policy yep. on the top of the stack. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, because back back in the seventies, not only the car dealers were shady, but the insurance agents too. Yeah. Oh, how times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the goal of having really short rules in a game is a great goal, but not at the expense of clearly stating the rules. Yeah, they were a little vague in a few spots. A, a little vague. <laughs> <laughs> they were subject to to some interpretation. 
Oh my god, the the rules were a hot mess. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> a hot mess. Come on. Uh, that did not at all impede the enjoyment of this game. It didn't because it was so immersive. Not only that, but we've run into these games, these retro games that are comedy based, like Midlife Crisis, that where the jokes are either terrible or have not stood the test of time. These jokes are clever and they're charming and they're lighthearted and they're fun. They hold up well. The jokes played an important part in the game. I mean, they were on theme and inside the mechanics. I loved it. There are 24 cars available. Each car is listed differently in each blue book. Mm -hmm. So Joe's could be junk and mine could be worth $11,000 for the same car. And the descriptors that you're talking about go with each of those uh, 24 cars in your blue book and they have some hilarious stuff in there <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 i had a wooden a car with wooden sides on it i guess they had a bunch of those in the 70s and it said uh it's a piece of junk woodpeckers destroyed the the walls of the car <laughs> some of the cars themselves were pretty funny oh, yeah there's a tank there was like a motorcycle with a sidecar on it for the most part, the cars were legit in some way, meaning somebody would find that car interesting, mm -hmm. which is why the blue books being different seem to make sense to me. It depends on who your customers are. People mm -hmm. still did use the word jalopy in ordinary conversation. Now, if you go back to like you know, late 60s, early 70s, there were still some cars that, from our point of view, would look ancient. I don't think in any of the descriptions I heard the word, I saw the word lemon. I wonder if that wasn't around yet. I didn't see that either. Yeah. Um, a little more about the blue books because they are obviously the integral part of, of the game. So important. You have a reader, one little hole in the middle of it, and you slide your card back and forth to reveal just the number car and its information. And also it listed the possible price values for each car. So for example, each car has a uh, list value, which is printed right on the car on the car card itself. And they tell you at the bottom of your blue book that, okay, for any car priced $10,000, someone has a blue book out there that says that car is 12,000, says it's 11, says it's 8,000, says it's 2,000, and says it's junk. So it gives you that information also on your blue book. So those are some handy pieces of information that you need to make use of if you're trying to be serious and, and win this game. So it's a handy player reference card as well as being a cool blue book. I don't know how many games I played from 1972 that have that sort of sophistication yeah. uh, to them. That's a modern. That's more of a modern conception, rather. So they were a little ahead of their time, I think. In that, they definitely have a lot of games where you have to refer to a chart, which is basically what that is. <laughs> and I know how you feel about charts, Mike. Oh, I love referring to outside charts, but actually, this game was fun to look through the little slider thing. It was, yeah. and it actually has an important game feature too. Because I mean, I've, I found myself looking at the card out of the slider for a little while just to quickly reference the cards that are in play. But when somebody goes to check under the hood, they only get to see what your blue book value is for that card. So you can hide the rest of the information. It's almost like a duel if um, someone looks under the hood. Yeah, it's a way to call their bluff. You're welcome to examine my blue book, yeah. but be warned. Well, That's why I said before, you need to rely on your salesman skills, such as negotiation and deception, because you may try to unload a piece of crud on someone, but they have the opportunity to call to look under the hood to see what the actual value of the car is. And if you're trying to beat them up too badly, you're going to start paying some penalties. But that mechanic completely falls apart when you realize that the other person's trapped into a sale once they make an offer. You never have to budge from your counteroffer. You can just say, 
if your car is actually in your own blue book worth 5000 and they offer you 2000 you can just counter with 5000 and then there's no way for them to call your bluff and they have to pay you the amount if you're at the blue book value and you get called out you get penalized you have to be under your blue book value really yes oh whoops <laughs> well it's okay because you did you didn't call anyone for under the hood i did twice uh and i thought Twice people were bluffing and they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> I took baths on I took little baths on both uh, those cars, but that's okay. That's part of the fun. Well, you have to pay the price, and it's a thousand bucks penalty. You could end up getting a car that is ten thousand dollars, your blue book value, that you paid nothing for, or traded for, or stole, or you know, or not stole, but took out of somebody's hand. So you know, or you could end up paying. You could totally end up paying five grand for a car that's valueless in your. In oh, your yeah. set. But that's when you open up your lot for sale. You're like, oh, man, I got to unload this piece of junk. I would prefer a way to pay little to nothing for a car. But when you're buying a car normally, you have to pay either 4000 or it's list price, depending on how you decide to buy it. Which is unfortunate because I would have loved to buy a car that somebody else thought was junk and then, you know, sell it for a little bit more. That would have been fine. Well, I think that's the push and pull on it. I think the way it works is that you're buying that car for $4,000. And if it junks to you, you're going to want to try to recoup that $4,000 and not where the incentive to bluff is. So it's like, it's like, oh, yes, I'll sell this card for oh, just a measly $3,000. Right, but you're not putting the car up specifically to be bought. It's just you're opening your lot and hope somebody picks your car that's listed as junk. And better yet than somebody picks it is somebody, two people getting a bidding war over it because it's both valuable in their blue books. But that also gives you information, though. If two players are bidding on it, that gives you the information. The guy who's selling it might not actually have a good high value on it. Which one, which one, which one, which one? Number 21. Mm, that is a sweet car, sweet, sweet car. I wouldn't sell it for that cheap. Wow, Celeste sabotaging all the deals. I'm going to let your car right, fire. Offer it. <laughs> Three, I'll buy this one for five. Wait, wait, wait. Three, I'll buy this one for a thousand. I had two junks, two useless cars in my lot. And the minute somebody offered me anything decent, I took it. Before we got in a bidding war or an <laughs> under the hood situation, I was oh, yeah. like, thousand bucks, I'll take it. Oh, yeah. I, I took advantage of that from you a couple times because I had them that were above the book value for the ones you were selling. And for you, they were junk. The font on the back of the cards made me expect to see Lamont Sanford's truck or the Partridge Family bus. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got a tank. I didn't care what the value of it was. <laughs> that is bringing customers in no matter what. <laughs> uh huh. Exactly. It's just a showpiece, really. It's not actually yeah. for sale. <laughs> I can't believe I made money on the tank. Oh, yeah. It was worth uh, double the, the face value to me. Which was a happy coincidence because I actually didn't look in my blue book before I decided to buy it from you. But be be careful coveting your cars too much or at least showing how much you like them because your competition <laughs> may come along and say, oh, you might have had a fire in your tank. Yeah, yeah. I almost decided to trash the tank. Yeah. Oh, that would have been so <laughs> sad. And if you don't have the right insurance, yeah. gone. Well, Mikey didn't have insurance for a moment. That was my opportunity to wreck it. But nobody wanted to wreck the tank. Come on, that's cold. No, I wrecked up it else because I knew you had a high value on that as well. Can we talk a little bit about the props and art in this game? Oh, <laughs> sure. There was art in the game? Yeah, there was. Very important art. There wasn't a lot of it, but what was there was important. Um, and the graphic design. The big 
art is the one that's on the cover, which is this big old curly haired guy with a big mustache trying to sell an old lady a car, like a Corvette, trying yeah. to sell an old lady a, cor- <laughs> a Corvette uh, convertible. Mm-hmm. Oh, and on God. the windshield is written special. And it's a photograph. People pose for that. They had a photo shoot for that. (laughs) (laughs) It is perfectly stereotypical. Uh, And then when you open the box, a giant hubcap that takes up the whole box comes out, sits in the center of the table, and you put the cards in it. And the money. It's all through the bank. Yep. And there's a pic that that same picture is glued on the front of the <laughs> so you have no choice but to stare at that thing all game. It's so good. It's so good. And Evan, I can't thank you enough for sending us the link to the commercial for this game from the 70s. There was a commercial. It made my morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we will we will share that link. Yeah. Oh, uh, I found out the lemon etymology here. Here's one of them. Oh. It's a British slang term from the early 1900s in which to hand someone a lemon was to pass off a substandard article as a good one. Oh. All right, everybody. Shovels ready, explorers. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury. Dealer's choice. Ed? It has amazing components for its time. The hubcap, the blue book. The gameplay itself may be a little bit lacking. Like we spent a little bit more time arguing over how the auctions play rather than actually playing the auction. But I dig this game up for its history. Just don't expect it to play as well as other cars on the lot. Joe? You can steal vans right off the car lots, even set them on fire, and there's no internet getting all up in your business. Dig it up. (laughs) (laughs) Evan? This was surprisingly good. You know, you're making lots of calculations in both mathematics and strategic calculations. So I think the game plays ahead of its time. So definitely dig it up. Mike? Well, they gave us some flashy accessories, but the engine in this one just didn't run too well. So bury this junker. This game is a lot like my first car. A big, gorgeous mess with a lot of crazy, confusing stuff going on in it. (laughs) Dig it up. Evan, where can you find this game? There appears to be many copies available at your favorite online used game sites. I frequent Etsy. That's where I picked this one up. About 15 bucks. If you have thoughts about Dealer's Choice, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from this show, including exclusive episodes for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. And if you get a chance, please share, 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 or leave us a review on anywhere where you get your podcast. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Follow us on your favorite social media. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Happy gaming, explorers! Love all, trust a few. Do wrong to none. Be able for thine enemy. Rather empower than you, and keep thy friend. Under thy own life's key, be checked for silence, but never taxed for speech.